All right, kids, raise your hand if you're ready. <laughs> We've got some hands. Miles is ready. All right, Miles, you want to go first? <laughs> Let's see. God made two blank lights. Great lights. Fantastic. Brooke, you want to go next? <laughs> the greater light to govern the? <laughs> and the lesser light to govern the? Not the day. Yep. All right, is Isaiah, did he, is he ready or? <laughs> he also made the, what do you see when you go outside and it's dark and you look up, Isaiah? He made the sun, he made the moon, and he made, he also made the stars, very good. Um, he also made the stars, God set them in the vault of the? Good job. All right. Leo, you want to do the first two? I just. <laughs> Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the blank from the blank. The day and the night. Who wants to go next? Bryn does. <laughs> And let them serve, this is probably the hardest one to remember, let them serve as blank, blank, and days, and years. It's probably the hardest one. I thought about that when I put this together. Let them serve as signs to mark blank, blank. That's probably the hardest one. I'll give you another one. Let them, let, let's see, and let them serve as signs to mark, and then blank, blank, and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give blank on the earth. Well, or what do they emit? To give light on the earth. All right. Girls, which one do you want? Let them serve as signs to mark blank, blank, and days and years. Starts with an F. I think it's probably the heart. Emmy? Sacred times. Do you realize when Jesus spoke the constellations into play that everything that would happen through stars, planets, and moons was precisely put into motion? So when Jesus in Genesis one on day four marked sacred times he marked the star of bethlehem in history he marked when the when time would go backwards for hezekiah he marked where the sun would stand still in the sky for 12 hours and he marked the eclipse that would happen when he died on the cross he marked them so precisely that from Nassau today, we can go backwards in this perfect calendar and find each of those things. That's all that went into that. So, um, Emmy got that one. 
let's see. On day five, he begins, let the water teem with This is for you, Sayla. <laughs> Let the water teem with, T-E-E-M, with blank, blank. Both of them have two syllables. And they're not dead. There you go. All right. Have I missed anybody? Got everybody. Okay, good. Open your Bibles with me. Oh, Trekker. Trekker. I missed him before. Um, let's see. The next verse, after living creatures, and, and let birds fly across. That's a hard one. The blank in the blank. What do birds fly across? You'll get the, probably the, one of them for sure. The vault in the sky. Very good. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans. You can join me in a challenge, young people, and you can get all your points at, at, as one and memorize Genesis 1 with me. If, if, if you're up to that, we'll do it together. Romans chapter 15. The title of today's message is God's Global Gospel. When we look at the closing of Romans chapter 15, he has given us the gospel. He has told us how to apply it. He has told us how to live as believers. He has challenged us again and again. He has told us earlier in Romans 15 to know your Old Testament because the Old Testament is a source of encouragement and endurance in your life. He is closing this chapter, and we begin to see behind the curtain. We begin to see the, the gospel expanding out to the world in God's perfect timing. And, and I begin to understand more and more that Paul didn't know as much from the beginning as I thought he did. That the, as things are unfolding in front of the apostle Paul, he is being given new direction, new direction, new direction. So what he was really given initially on day one is go wherever I want you to go do whatever I want you to do you are going to suffer it is going to cost you and Paul said okay I will go I'm going to read several verses and then and then we will go back through them beginning in verse 23 of Romans 15 but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions and since I have been longing for many years to visit you the people in Rome I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service to the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that the Jews have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know 
that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, as we see the gospel and, and the plan of God to reach the world, to reach people in Mendota one day, and we see it spreading out here um, through his servants and, and reaching out into the world, help us to appreciate the, the precise intentions of God to reach each one of us to make sure that no human being would ever die without considering the God of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we read through these verses, we see in the closing of Romans chapter 15 that Paul has been trusting God. He is traveling, he is spreading. As we read last week, from Jerusalem to Lycrium, he has, he has spread out this 1,400-mile circle, and he has reached every province in this circle. So there's probably 50 places maybe that we know of that Paul went to, but there's a lot more than that. He is literally almost like the continent of the United States spreading the gospel and going farther here, farther here, farther here and going, keep spreading out, keep spreading out, traveling back through the churches he's been to make sure they're grounded, make sure they have leaders, make sure they're holding on to the truth. And he gives Rome here in 57 AD his best understanding of what his plan is next. He tells them there are multiple things here that, that show us that Paul doesn't know what lies ahead. Verse 24, I plan to go, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. His plans are, I'm going to Spain. And then he says, I hope to see you while passing through. He thinks that he is in his relationship to Rome. I'm going up into Europe now. I'm going to go through Italy. I'm going to go through the city of Rome. I'm going to make it all the way to Spain. And I'm going to spread the gospel everywhere I go. And I'm going to pass through Rome and go right up to Spain. He doesn't realize what's actually going to happen in Rome yet. He doesn't realize that he will be locked up in Rome that that won't be up to him. He is being faithful. He's going to go where he is told to go, and the gospel will spread out exactly as it has planned. So then he says in verse 22, after, at the end of the verse, after I have enjoyed your company for a while, he's passing through. He's going to meet these people and move on. Verse 25, now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. Drop down to verse 28. So after I have completed this task, his task is to bring provisions to the impoverished Jews in Jerusalem who are heavily persecuted, many of them homeless and struggling. And Paul is going everywhere he goes to gather money to take back to Jerusalem. So verse 28, so after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. Again, my, my plan is to go to Jerusalem and then I'm going to Spain. You are in my path to Spain, so I'm going to stop in Rome and I'm going to visit with you for a while and then I'm going to be on my way. It would be like a, a person traveling across the country and staying at someone's home for a few days. So Paul is going to go to these places, but we don't know exactly where. So if we go to Acts chapter 9, we're going to familiarize ourselves 
with the spreading of the gospel. We're going to see the big picture. This isn't about Paul. This is about Jesus Christ. This is about the gospel spreading out to the world systematically, perfectly. He is about to send the gospel to places that he never knew he would send it to. He tells us in this chapter, it's always been my desire to bring the gospel to a place that hasn't heard it yet. I want to I go to Spain He's telling them there, I want to make sure the gospel makes it that far. He's being faithful to everything he knows. So on the night that or the day that he met Jesus in verse 15, after God speaks, Jesus speaks to Paul, he speaks to Ananias and he says about Paul, verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, go, this is this person, the apostle Paul, Saul here, who is not an apostle. He has just been blinded by Jesus Christ and he has given his life to him and he is going to connect with Ananias. So he says to Ananias, go. This is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So I've read that verse 16 before that that like Jesus just shows him everything that's going to happen in the future. And I think we're learning um, we're going to see some of it in Sunday school in 1 Corinthians, um, but we're seeing in his chapter 15 to Rome, he doesn't really know how much he's going to suffer till he gets to a place. Multiple times, Paul, throughout the book of Acts, is heading to one place, and God is grateful that he's faithful, he's grateful that he's moving forward, and he says, I actually want you to go over here. And Paul, as we go through the book of Acts, as you turn to chapter 19, If you want, you can write down some pretty close approximate dates in Acts chapter 9. That's about 37 A.D. Understand that, that Paul is writing the book of Romans at 57 A.D. So this is 20 years after Paul was saved. This is 10 years after Paul became a missionary. He became a missionary in Acts chapter 13 from Antioch when the Holy Spirit spoke to that church. Set apart Paul and Barnabas, I'm sending them on a missionary journey, and he begins. Ten years later now, he is in Corinth writing this letter to the Romans, and he is moving forward as he understands. In Acts chapter 19, we're looking here at about um, probably 55 A.D. as Paul is in Ephesus during his final missionary journey, um, his third missionary journey, he's in Ephesus, and we pick up the text in verse 15. Acts chapter, excuse me, verse 21. We're going to read verses 21 and 22. This is about 55 AD. I'll explain why that's significant. After all this happened to me, what has happened is there's been this tumultuous time in Ephesus where he is going against the gods that they are worshiping um, and and there's this huge uproar people are repenting they're burning their witchcraft books and Paul says in verse 21 after all this happened Paul decided to go to Jerusalem passing through Macedonia and Achaia after I have been there he said I must visit Rome also he has the understanding here that he has in Romans chapter 15. 
I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his disciples, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province a little longer. He's in Asia. He, he is in a territory of northern Turkey as we would move up on our maps today. And he's in the church that he spends the most time in. And he's saying, I need to go to Macedonia. I need to go to Jerusalem. And I need to end up in Rome and visit there. He has the same understanding that he does in Romans 15. I'm going to head up into Europe and I'm going to visit Rome. And it's going to be much more of a visit. So this text here in chapter 19 is two years before he writes the book of Romans. Now turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, the beginning of the chapter, is about 57 A.D. You've heard that number already. That's when he writes the book of Romans. So when we read the first six verses of, of, excuse me, of Acts chapter 20, when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He is going up north. Um, the, he traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece. So he's traveled up through Ephesus. He's come down around. He, he has gone through Macedonia and he's now into Greece where the city of Corinth is. And he is about to write the book of Romans. So verse 2 again, he traveled through that area speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he stayed three months. This three-month period is where Paul writes the book of Romans and we'll establish that in a minute. Because some of the Jews plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Phraeus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus, from Thessalonica, Gaius, from Derbe, Timothy also, and Tychicus, and Trophimus, from the province of Egypt. Trophimus will come up a little bit later. He's a Greek man. Verse 5, These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others in Troas, where we stayed seven days. Luke is marking these things out. He is telling us that in the spring of 57 A.D., that is when Paul writes the book of Romans. Hold your finger in Acts, because we'll be right back there. We're really looking at the, the history unfolding. In Romans 16, Paul tells us who he is with as he wrote Romans when he begins his um, long list of people who have worked with him and are working with him. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon in the church of Centuria. Centuria is, is the port entrance to Corinth. So he is in Corinth as he is writing the book of Romes, Romans. If you drop down to verse 23, we see Gaius, who we've seen earlier, whose hospitality, 
whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, he's saying here, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Luke is, and Paul are writing together here. Luke is using what Paul is writing to give us these exact timings. Erastus is the public works director of Corinth. Phoebe is in Corinth at the location of Centuria, and Paul is giving us where he's writing the book of Romans from. Well, that time period that fits with those two people is the opening verses of Acts chapter 20. So we know that in 57 AD in the spring, around the Passover feast, Paul writes the book of Romans. Go back to the book of Acts as we continue our story. Paul, if you remember that we read in Acts chapter 15, he says, I must go to Jerusalem. Paul thinks that he's going to go to Jerusalem and take this money that he's gathered from Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi and Corinth, and he's going to take this money that he's been gathering for a year, and he's going to take it to Jerusalem, and he thinks he's going to give that to the poor Jews who are believers and move on. But a different story is going to unravel. He is going to be faithful, so he is going to Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 21, then, Paul arrives in Jerusalem, the end of 57 A.D., after he has written the book of Romans. 57 A.D., um, chapter 21 and verse 8. Leaving the next day, we reach Caesarea. This is coming down back to Jerusalem. It's the last stop before he gets to Jerusalem. And we know that Cornelius lived there um, in Acts chapter 10, but we also see someone else familiar that lives there. Verse 8, Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So, we, are, we realize that the gospel didn't just go there by Peter in Acts chapter 10, that Philip would have been there first, that Paul also went there. Philip, if we went back to Acts chapter 6, is one of the Grecian Jews. He's a convert to Judaism as a Greek man, and he is described along with Stephen as being full of the Holy Spirit. So when the gospel, after Stephen is martyred, starts to go out into the world, the first person to go is Philip. Philip goes up into Samaria, and he goes up to Caesarea, where he is from, and he spreads the gospel. And he is known many years later by Paul as Philip the Evangelist, um, that he is constantly spreading the gospel. He is also known for probably not having sons. He has four daughters who prophesied. Well, prophecy is both foretelling and forthtelling. Forthtelling meaning what I'm doing now is reading the scriptures to you, but it is also foretelling. And in the first um, generation of the church, we see both. So it is likely that there is more to these four women than Sunday school teachers or Bible teachers, that they are probably... A, a, significantly involved in God's message to earth and how to move it forward. And we are just simply told here that he had four daughters, unmarried, who 
who are prophesying. Um, we see that in the Old Testament, people like Miriam, people like Deborah, people like Huldah were women who were prophets in the Old Testament. We see prophets in the New Testament here, like Anna and like these four women here. Reading on, um, verse 10, verse 9, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Verse 10, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus, here's another foreteller, and a foreteller is walking up to Paul. He is a prophet that shows up multiple times in the book of Acts. Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us. He took Paul's belt, tied it around his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over the, to the Gentiles. This is the first time Paul knows this. Paul thinks that he is going to Jerusalem to give an offering to the Jews. He's going to make sure that that gets distributed properly, and then he's going to Rome. And when he arrives to Jerusalem, this prophet comes up to him, takes his belt off of his waist, ties up Paul's hands, and ties his feet with it, and says, this is what's going to happen to you in Jerusalem. So he's a short distance from Jerusalem in Caesarea. He, he's with a, a number of disciples. And Agabus says, you're going to be bound up and you're going to be handed over to the Gentiles. Who does that sound like? Jesus. Jesus was bound up and then he was handed over to the Gentiles. So look at this response, um, verse 12. When we, we meaning Luke and all of the other men with him, like Timothy and, and Silas, um, Erastus and Aristarchus and Segundus, we pleaded with Paul. We and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul said, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Imagine how hard that moment was. These are all faithful followers of Jesus Christ. They're weeping. They're, they're shaking and saying, Paul, you can't go. You can't go to Jerusalem. There's another way. We'll figure this out. God doesn't want you to be bound. Paul already knows I'm going to Jerusalem and then Rome. Paul has matured 20 years to where like in Philippians, which he's going to write when he gets to Rome, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. He is ready, he is mature at this time in his life to say, even if they kill me, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go to Jerusalem. Whatever happens there. Drop down um, to verse 27. Chapter 21 and verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia, where he had been when we began today in chapter 19, saw Paul in the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and against our law and this place. 
And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, who we heard about earlier, the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple, which he didn't. Verse 30, the whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him into the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops and the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. At once, he at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains, fulfilling Agabus's prophecy. Then he asked who, it, who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into his barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Very similar to crucify him that they were yelling as Jesus was arrested. So Paul just months earlier believes I'm going to go to Jerusalem and then I'm going to go to Rome and then I'm going to go to Spain. And the reality is that at the end of 57 AD, he is bound up in Jerusalem he will be set free again, but it won't be for five years that he will be bound. He will be bound everywhere he goes. He will be shipwrecked. He'll be taken from one port to another. He would end up in Rome and end up in his own house as a prisoner. From this moment on, Paul has about 10 years left in his life, and most of that time will be in chains, either in Jerusalem or Rome. Drop down to chapter 23. As Paul is before the Sanhedrin, all of this is Paul on trial. He gets the Sadducees and the Pharisees to, to fight with each other because he knows that even though the Sanhedrin includes both, they don't believe the same things. So we pick up the text in chapter 23 and verse 10. We're about 58 A.D. now. The following night, the Lord's that following the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, "Take courage, as you have test about, testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome." This is hard. Paul is bound. He knows what happened to Jesus, and the same thing is happening to him, and. Paul is learning this as he goes, and it is so important to, the, to you and I. Um, you know, Peter says in, in 2 Peter 3, 9 and 67 AD, as he and Paul are both about to be executed, he says, God is not slow as some understand slowness. He says, God is patient with you, wanting no one to perish and everyone to come to repentance. So these years are going to drag on for Paul. It's going to be really heavy from here on out. He is going to see more guards than he is 
people outside of prison because he's going to be in prison for most of the rest of his life. And this is so important to the world that Jesus comes down from heaven and stands next to Paul. Imagine that moment when he comes down to Paul and, and he touches him on the shoulder and he says to Paul, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Paul's beginning to understand that Jerusalem was completely different than he expected. And Rome's going to be completely different than he expected. He's not going to do anything for the next five years outside of chains. The gospel's not going to stop. In fact, the spreading of the gospel from this moment increases. It's like a billow on a flame when Paul is put in a prison cell. Drop down to Acts chapter 27. What has happened in, in these chapters is, is he's before Festus and Felix. He's before King Agrippa in chapter 26. He is being taken to these different places for Roman officials to, to put him on trial. He is finally making his way to Rome. Luke is giving us so many specific details that, that we can track all of this historically as well as biblically. In chapter 27, verses 23 and 24, they have been shipwrecked. There's 276 men on a ship. It is a ship that shouldn't be sailing. Paul told them not to because they're, um, if you've ever seen the movie Perfect Storm, um, that's out of the, the nor'easter storms that happen late in the year as you get towards winter and they've gone through one of these storms they've they've dumped all the cargo overboard they've dumped all the the food overboard they they've let the anchors fall and they're just hoping that something good happens and they finally see this land and Luke so specifically describes it that you can go there today it's St. Thomas Bay on the island of Malta so Luke gives all of these details to tell us the only place that he could be talking about. And they've actually, they, they cut the anchors loose. We're told how many. And they found those anchors within the last 10 years just off of St. Thomas Bay, the only sandy bay in Malta. And Luke says it's a sandy bay that they run the ship into. But anyway, what's happened here is the soldiers are like, let's get the lifeboats over, overboard and let's get out of here. Let's just leave these. They're, they're all prisoners except the, the, the soldiers that are guarding them. And Jesus has already promised Paul, no one's going to die as long as everybody stays on the ship. So Paul stands up. They haven't eaten for 14 days. Verse 23, last night an angel, probably Gabriel, of God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. So this time an angel comes down on this ship where undoubtedly everyone but Paul thinks they're going to die. The only reason Paul doesn't think he's going to die is because he knows he's going to make it to Rome. Verse 24, and said, this is what the angel said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously, graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. If you're going to ride in a taxi cab, ride with Paul. Paul knows where he's going. He's going to make it there. There's 276 men on this ship that should have all died. 
But because Paul's on the ship and Paul has a mission to complete, none of them are going to die. And that's going to testify to them. He gets on the island of Malta and he heals Publius's father. Publius becomes the evangelist to the island of Malta. You can research that if you go there today. But Paul is going to make it where he is going. If we go drop down to the end of the book of Acts, We're now sometime after 62 A.D., probably right at the end of 62 A.D., Luke is writing the book of Acts. And we pick up the text in verse 28. Paul is saying to everyone who comes by his rented prison home, therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Turn back to Acts chapter, or Romans chapter 15. So we see this journey from the time he writes the book of Romans, he has a general plan. He knows earlier that you're going to go to Rome someday. He knows he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's been gathering money to take to the poor Christian Jews, but he has no idea that as soon as he puts his feet in Jerusalem, he will basically be a prisoner for most of the rest of his life. And he realizes as Luke records, Paul saying the gospel will now go to the Gentiles. So by the end of the book of Acts, Paul, while he is there in prison, writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. He, he would, after that, write 1 Timothy and Titus. He would write um, Philemon from that prison cell. He would write 1 um, Timothy and Hebrews from the second prison cell. He understands as he's in that cell in Rome, this is how God planned to reach the world. Paul had a vision of Jerusalem and then um, Elycrium and then Rome and then Spain. God from a prison cell is spreading it out faster and farther through Paul's pen and pieces of paper and pieces of goatskin that he is writing these things down on that we are reading today. We pick up the text in verse 26 and 27 of chapter 15. These are reminders to us. We read here, let's pick it up in verse 26 first. For Macedonia and Achaia, this is the churches on Paul's second and third missionary journeys that we've already talked about, were pleased to make a contribution, contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God speaking to us as Gentiles. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, you have a debt to the Jews, a financial debt. There are heavily 
impoverished Jews today and there's some good organizations for us to give to. Jesus, when he meets the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, says salvation is from the Jews. We have a Jewish Savior. We have a Jew, the Apostle Paul, who brings the gospel to the Gentiles. The Jews in Jerusalem, ever since the beginning in Acts chapter 2, are heavily persecuted. There are a lot of homeless Jews today that have been kicked out of Russia, kicked out of um, Ethiopia, kicked out of these places that they were spread in 722 B.C. Um, right now they're being kicked out of Afghanistan. Um, they are the most hated people with this takeover of the Taliban in Afghanistan and Pakistan today. Um, let's turn in our Bibles for a minute to 1 Corinthians 16, the end of 1 Corinthians When we read about money in the Bible, in the New Testament, we're often reading about it with what Paul is specifically gathering to take to Jerusalem. So Paul writes Romans in 57 AD. Shortly before that, he writes 1 Corinthians. When he is up in Macedonia, before he comes down to Corinth, he writes to Corinth this letter that we know as 1 Corinthians. At the end of Chapter 16, we actually beginning of chapter 16, sorry about that. We read, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. The same thing he told um, Lystra and Derbe and Iconium and Pisidian Antioch, the same thing he told Macedonia, um, Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea, the same thing that he told Corinth. Here he says, Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, pointing to their coming together on Sunday to worship, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem." If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. He's describing what we just read, this journey into Jerusalem as he comes from Caesarea and he has gathered money everywhere he has gone. Um, there would have been needed to be divine protection because Paul's carrying a lot of money with him that isn't his. And he's saying here to the Corinthians, as soon as I get down there from Macedonia, have the money ready because I'm going to take all the money that you've gathered. I'm not going to say, does anyone have anything to give? He's saying here, you should have already done that. So I'm going to visit Corinth. I'm going to go on to Jerusalem. And that is what he is doing in the book of Acts as we were reading. So in Macedonia and Corinth, he talks often about this, how, how terribly the Jews are having to live when they follow Christ in Jerusalem. And he is telling them and he's telling us as we go back to chapter 15, that we owe it to the Jews to provide for them. That there should be some way that Christians, yes, in 2021, support messianics or Jews who are Christ followers. Verse 33, or verse 30 in chapter 15. Romans 15, verse 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Were those prayers answered? Yeah, they were. It didn't sound like it, did it? He's saying, pray for safety when I go to Judea because there's a lot of Jews that hate me there. That God would protect me. Did God protect him? Yeah, he did. When he was put in a prison cell in Jerusalem, his nephew, maybe Miles' age, um, is, is out in the courtyard. Maybe he had taken Paul some food and, and these Jews are getting together and saying, we're going to go... Um, we're going to go to the Roman officials and we're going to say we want to interview Paul. And when Paul comes out, we're going to take him and kill him. And none of us are going to eat until he dies. And he goes into Paul's prison cell and he says, Uncle Paul, he said, this is what I heard. And Paul goes to the person in charge and tells, or the nephew goes to the person in charge. And he says, I've got something to tell you about the Paul that the Jews are planning to do. And he, he takes this little boy aside and he hears him, takes 200 mounted troops, puts Paul in that band and sends them out of Jerusalem so Paul's life would be spared. So these prayers are being answered. If we go back to Acts chapter 21, in that same chapter where all of these horrible things are happening, he also says, pray that I will be able to take this gift to Jerusalem, that it will be properly received. In Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 17, Paul, Luke writes about Paul, When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly, answered prayer. The next day, Paul and the rest went to see James and all the elders who were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and they all of them are zealous for the law. Answered prayer. He is warmly received by every Jew. The hurting Jews now have provision. James, Jesus' half-brother, comes out and says to him, Paul, look what Jesus is doing in Jerusalem. And Paul says to James, look what he's doing in Galatia and Macedonia and Achaia, and they celebrate in Jerusalem. And Paul's prayers are answered. He's going to go to Rome. It's going to be in chains. But that's the, only, that's the only way Paul can get there alive. They're going to kill him in Jerusalem. They're going to kill him on the way. They're going to kill him when he arrives in Rome unless he is being guarded. So Paul would say at one point that I'm in chains, but the gospel isn't. The gospel is going out. It was spread faster and farther from that prison cell than Paul could have ever traveled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if Paul shares these details, 
for us at the end of Romans 15. They must be important for us to reflect. That the gospel needed to go to all the Gentiles. That it needed to be written down so we could write it in places that were not pleasant to be. Thank you for your word. Thank you for making sure we would get it in our hands. In Jesus' name, amen.